Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 37 today. And as you turn there, let me review from last week. Jesus and the 12 disciples, they left Capernaum, the ministry headquarters, uh, and they walked about 20 miles north. They traveled to Tyre. And basically, Jesus left Jewish land, and he travels into enemy territory here. Tyre was notorious for its paganism and for its money. The city of Tyre rejoiced when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, so there was no love lost there. So needless to say, Jesus brought the 12 into a very uncomfortable situation. They were getting ready to minister to people that they really didn't care for. So it's one thing to share Jesus with people in your own hometown, and you know where the streets are, you know the language, it's, it's pretty comfortable being around, but it's another altogether to travel to Egypt and share Jesus with Muslims. We met a woman who was one of the main characters last week in the narrative, and this woman came from really, uh, she had everything against her, and yet she has the audacity to ask for a miracle. Remember, her, her daughter was demon-possessed, and we think about this, and we go, wait, well, wait a second, because Jesus healed many, many people all the way through the Gospel of Mark here. So what's the, the problem with, with this particular woman? Well, number one, she's, um, she is a woman, which means that she's inferior uh, to men in the first century. She's not only a Gentile, but she's also a Canaanite woman, which means that she is an arch enemy of the Israelites. And then on top of that, she's a Syrophoenician, which means that she worshipped uh, Syrian and Phoenician gods. So this woman has so much against her. Uh, her family comes from this long line of godless people that just hate Israel. And uh, Matthew and Mark, they, they let us know. Uh, this woman is definitely not a Jew. She is as wretched as they come from their perspective. And once again, she comes, she asks for a miracle. She comes to Jesus as a Jew. And we saw Jesus, our compassionate, loving Savior, not say yes or no to her question, he actually calls her a name. He calls her a dog or a doggy. Most people would have been offended by that, obviously, stormed out of the room, but not her. Remember in verse 28, she says this. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I mean, wow. Just Wow. I mean, we learn that her willingness to humble herself and to be humiliated is, is a crucial requirement for discipleship. 
And that's one of our key points for today. There, there are two choices to be a disciple of Jesus. Number one, humility. And number two, humiliation. One we choose, the other is chosen for us. So just as Jesus tells us that we are to receive the kingdom of God as little children, this woman has no reservation at all. She has no hesitation to receive the kingdom of God as a little doggy. The 12 disciples, they learned a fundamental lesson last week from this inferior Gentile pagan idol worshiping enemy of God, and that is she taught them what saving faith looks like. She taught them how not to judge a book by its cover. Jesus came to save the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And what the Jews missed all through the Old Testament is that they missed that they really weren't supposed to separate themselves from the Gentiles. They were to be a means for salvation for the whole world. So the Jews, they were to be an instrument. They were to be the mouthpiece for God's grace of salvation. They were to spread the, this news. And then last week we talked about biblical characteristics of genuine repentance. Remember this woman, she changed her mind. She left her worthless idols. She also turned away from her sin. She physically came to Jesus. We see a sorrow for her sin next. She fell at Jesus' feet. She worshiped Jesus. She begged for mercy. And then we also saw a deepening conviction of her faith. She was going to fight for what she knew to be true. And she knew that Jesus could cast that demon out of her daughter. So we look at these biblical characteristics of, of repentance, and, and they're not just for her. They're for all of us. Because as a disciple of Jesus, no matter where you are in this journey, you will learn to love the things that God loves. And you'll do that in an increasing manner. And then at the same time, you'll also hate what God hates in an increasing manner as well. Because a disciple of Jesus, we learn how to struggle well with sin. We don't fall back, we fall forward. We learn from, from our sin and from our mistakes. And over time, we become repulsed by the way that we used to act. And when a disciple does sin... We learn to confess that sin and make things right ASAP. Because a Christian is not just someone who prays a one-time prayer and asks Jesus into their heart, and then that's it. A Christian from Scripture, what Scripture says is uh, this person has repented from their sin, and they believe, they repent and they believe that Jesus alone is their source of salvation. And the beautiful thing about this repenting and believing is that it's a willful, conscious act. It's not just done in haste. And what happens there, there's a spiritual transaction that takes place. When we repent and when we believe, God justifies us. He makes things right. It's a, it's a legal term. So justification um, you are now declared right with God. And not only that, but you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of your life, you will be sanctified. You will be set apart for God. Scripture shows this time and time again. Justification and sanctification, these are twin graces. These, these two things are two sides of the same coin here. So in other words, you cannot be saved by God and continue to live the way that you always have. I mean, that's a repulsive heresy. 
There's no such thing as a, a carnal Christian. I mean, do you think that the woman and her daughter continued to worship idols after Jesus cast that demon out? No, absolutely not. So you cannot be chosen by God and justified by his grace and not forever be changed. Uh, and that was just a recap from, from last week. This week, we have a similar story. Jesus continues to minister to the Gentiles, the non-Jews here. Let me show you what's going on. I've got a map on the screen. Ugh. Now, I want to show you. Did you... Did you guys think I was going to beat somebody with this this morning? I am four feet tall, so I've got to be able to reach this. So this is Capernaum, right? This is, this is Jesus' ministry headquarters. So he walked, last week he walked 20 miles north of Tyre. Now he's going to walk another, well, in this narrative over the next couple of weeks, he's going to walk from Tyre to Sidon and then back through what's now Syria here, back to Caesarea Philippi, back around the Sea of Galilee. Here's Bethsaida. And he's going to spend some time in through here, which is the Decapolis. It's really strange how he, he makes this huge, long, sweeping tour with the disciples. And the reason that he does that is he's spending one-on-one -on -one time with them. He's getting ready to prepare them for the birth of, of the new church. Um. That little tour took anywhere from six to eight months to do. And we don't know what kind of ministry that Jesus did in Sidon, uh, but we do know what happened in the Decapolis, which is what we're going to focus on today. And isn't it good that the Lord Jesus focused in on the Gentiles? Because that's you and me. We are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. So, Jesus is preparing his, his 12 disciples for the New Testament church. Today, we're going to meet a man who is deaf. And just like the woman from last week, this man has everything against him. So how does this story, how does this man's story impact you and your walk as a disciple? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and he said to him, Epitha, and that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished, and they said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. These are the very words of Almighty God. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for allowing us together as your church. Thank you, Father, for this little church on the hill. We are so blessed to be together and, and going through your word verse by verse. Please teach us 
Please show us what it looks like to truly hear your gospel today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. Please have a seat. Take a deeper look here at verse 31. Again, the leaving the region of Tyre, Jesus, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. So Jesus leaves Sidon. He had straight up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea there, uh, another 20 miles. Once again, this is all Gentile land. Today on a map, this would be Lebanon. Archaeologists have proved over the years what Scripture says about these cities being so pagan. They've found many, many statutes of, of false gods and, and idols. These guys worshipped anything from... Baal to Zeus to Aphrodite, Artemis, Dionysus, just, just all of these things. And as Jesus takes the 12 on this little road trip, they're enamored by all of these false deities, probably for the first time. So as they're walking through this pagan land, think about what the 12 are seeing. Now, I don't know about you, but that'd make me a little nervous. I'd be a, a tad intimidated. Being in a, full, a foreign culture, a foreign tongue, watching other people worship these false deities. You're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? That's what they're, they're, they're walking through this. And I, I find great irony here because the 12 are walking and they're seeing all this happen. And they're walking with the one true living God. It's amazing, isn't it? The Gospel of Matthew fills in some gaps here, Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. So moving on from there, so that's Tyre and Sidon, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and he sat there. Large crowds came to him, including the lame and the blind and the crippled, those unable to speak, and many, many others. And they put these people at his feet and he healed them. So question, where did all these people come from? Where did this large crowd come from? Well, they're in, because they're in Gentile territory, right? What do all of these Gentiles, why do they care about this Jew named Jesus? Why do they care? Well, if the Decapolis, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because that's the same area where Jesus cast out that legion of demons from that man back in Mark chapter 5. Remember, he sent them into a, her a herd of pigs. The herd of pigs, they jumped off a cliff, they tried to fly, and then they committed suicide. Remember that? Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus is getting into the boat, and, and, and the man who had, he's, he had been demon-possessed, he, he's begging Jesus earnestly that he might remain with him. So just picture all of this. Remember, he was sitting at his feet, and, and, the, and the 12 are getting ready to go, and this man, it's like he jumps in the boat, and he's like, where are we going? What's the plan, Jesus? What are we going to do? And Jesus responds in verse 19. He says, no, no, dear friend. He says, go home. I want you to go home to your own people. I want you to report to them how much the Lord has done for you, how much he has had mercy on you. And then in verse 20, so what do you do? He goes out 
And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all these people were amazed. So this once demonized man who had thousands of demons living inside of him, they were torturing this man. So he was torturing others. He became the first Gentile missionary. He became the first non-Jew evangelist for Jesus. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. And today is where we see the fruit of this man's evangelism. So this one guy, he's the result of this huge crowd today. Unbelievable. Back to Mark chapter 7, verse 32. So they, they brought to him a deaf man who's in this crowd, who also had difficulty speaking, and they begged him. They begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So in this large crowd, we've, we've got his friends that bring a deaf man to Jesus. Without being able to hear as a child, this man was unable to learn how to speak correctly. So this man has a severe speech impediment. You can't understand what he's, what he's saying. And he can't understand you either because he's deaf. He most likely had this problem from birth because we know we learn how to speak by listening to others. Listening to others is, is how we form our words. And if you can't hear how to speak, then you're not going to learn how to talk either. It's, it's very hard for you to communicate. So in the first century, there were no treatments for this. Certainly there were no cures. So this man lived a really hard life. So not only was his physical condition bad, but his, socially, his social condition was even worse. This man was rejected. He was ignored. He was ostracized by society. The Jews, they thought that the deaf community were mentally handicapped. They believed that deafness and blindness were the direct result of God's judgment for sin. Uh, the 12 disciples, they believed that. Remember in John chapter 9, the 12, they asked, they said, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it, was it this man or was it his parents? But this, this uh, deaf man is not Jewish. He lives in the Decapolis, which means that he is a Gentile and that he lives among other pagans. So his countrymen probably don't only ignore and reject him, but they probably abuse this man. Because in many, many cultures, they would actually execute the deaf because they believed that they were demon-possessed. Deafness, obviously, is a horrible, horrible handicap. And as terrible as blindness is, the blind don't suffer the social stigma that is experienced by the deaf. Because when you're deaf, people stare at you. They, people become impatient with you because they don't know you're deaf. And there's a constant humiliation of people thinking that you're stupid, simply because you can't understand what they're saying. And then, of course, the deaf person, he can't communicate back to them. So this man in verse 32, he can't ask questions. He, he doesn't even know why he's there. He can't hear explanations. He can't read. This man's situation is horrible. It's miserable. And actually, it's worse than that. It's hopeless. This man lives in a hopeless state. This man has no hope that anything will ever change for him tomorrow. 
So how desperate is this man who, he's got a sound mind, he just can't communicate to one another. He can't communicate to anyone. But he does have a few friends. And these guys, obviously, they heard the testimony of this ex-demon-possessed man turned evangelist for Jesus. Back to verse 32. So they brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking, and they begged Jesus. They begged Jesus, just like the woman from last week, begging him. So wait a second. There is hope. This man does have hope. Verse 33. So Jesus took him away from the crowd in private. So we see Jesus take this deaf man away from this huge crowd. Now put yourself in this, in this man's shoes. What's he thinking? What's he thinking at this moment right now? Uh-oh, uh-oh, what, what, what I do wrong now? What I do wrong now? This, this man has lived a life of doing things wrong. He's always in the way. His friends bring this man to Jesus who they've never met before. He has no clue who Jesus is. And yet, it's almost like we see Jesus, okay, Jesus says, come. He motions to, to the man. And the guy is, is just like, well, and he, can't you just picture the man kind of looking back at his friends going, and the friends going, yeah, 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 you want to go. You want to go. And they're encouraging, and they're smiling him, and he looks back at Jesus, and Jesus is going like this. So he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. He has no idea what's getting ready to happen. Why is Jesus taking this man away in private? Because Jesus is a compassionate God. Jesus does not want to draw attention to himself, and he doesn't want to draw any attention to this man. This deaf man has been embarrassed enough. His compassion shows how he views people. This man, is he's not a problem to be fixed. This person is made in the very image of God, who just happens to be deaf. So once again, can't you just imagine his, his confusion? Like, what, what, what's going on right, right now? Back to verse 33. So Jesus took him away from the crowds in private, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. So what's going on here? This is a, this is a bit odd. Well, it's useless for Jesus to talk to this man because he's deaf. So we see Jesus use his own form of sign language here. This deaf man, he must understand what's getting ready to happen. Jesus is getting ready to heal him, but he doesn't know that. This is the best day ever for this man, not just physically, but spiritually. Because remember the miracles now, Jesus' signs, his wonders, and his miracles are just the proof from the gospel message. Jesus is not necessarily just a healer. First and foremost, primarily, Jesus is a preacher. He came to preach this gospel. So, he has no idea what's getting ready to happen. If you were, if you were to touch a deaf stranger without communicating to them what you were getting ready to do, how would they respond? Why are you touching me? Get your hands off me, right? So what we see, we see Jesus do something like this in this verse. Probably Jesus says, okay, I'm going to take my fingers 
and I know that you're deaf. I know that you can't hear me. So I'm going to take my fingers, and I'm going to put them in your ears, okay? And Jesus does that. So Jesus is showing, I know that you're deaf. I know that you're not demon-possessed. I know that you have a sound mind. That's what Jesus is communicating. Jesus now, he spits on his fingers. Why would he do that? Because saliva in the first century, uh, people believed that it, it contained healing properties. So by spitting on his fingertips, Jesus is showing not only that he knows that he's deaf, but now he's going to heal his deafness. So once again, Jesus is communicating very clearly, slowly, step by step, what he's doing for the man. Jesus is not going to surprise this, this guy um, in any way, shape, or form here. And then lastly, Jesus touches the man's tongue. So Jesus communicates that not only is he going to heal his deafness, but he probably does something like this. You know, I'm going to touch your tongue. I know that you can't speak. So can you just imagine him going, stick your tongue out. I'm going to, I'm going to heal that too. I'm going to heal, I'm going to heal your deafness and I'm going to allow you to speak. Verse 34. So looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed deeply. And he said, Epitha. That's all he said. It means be opened. So Jesus is still using sign language here. By, by looking up to heaven, Jesus is communicating to this Gentile man that this healing comes from heaven. Even he would, he would know that. It's not coming from any, this is not a magic trick, right? So this man's a Gentile, even though he worships idols, he's going to understand that this healing comes from above. Jesus sighs. Why does he sigh? To show that Jesus understands. He's got compassion on him. He's showing deep sympathy for this man. He's, uh, he's showing he understands his pain and his shame. He says the word epitha, that is be open. The, the picture here is that Jesus thoroughly, completely opened this man's ears. He healed him like that. There is no recovery period, just like the rest of Jesus' miracles. Nobody has to go to physical therapy. He has new ears. Think about this. The first sound that this man ever heard was the Lord Jesus Christ's voice. How cool is that? The same voice that, that spoke the world into existence. So Jesus healed this man with one word. This is not an elaborate, drawn-out show for the crowds. Jesus is not working the crowds here. He's not going to pass the plate and take an offering. This is divine. Jesus is God. Verse 35, immediately his ears were opened his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. So this verse has vivid Old Testament imagery. This verse means that the chain of, of this man's tongue was broken. The chain that bound this man in a prison of silence and exclusion has been broken once and for all. Jesus has liberated this unclean Gentile man, and yet the prophet Isaiah says that the Gentiles are the people who walk in darkness. 
The Gentiles are spiritually blind, but see, this man was not only spiritually blind, he's physically deaf. So in other words, he couldn't hear the word of God if he wanted to. But the concept of, the, of this, the chain of his tongue being broken in verse 32, it only appears in one other place in Scripture. Let me show this to you. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. When he, so that's Jesus, when Jesus comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and he will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Why is that? Why are they going to sing? Why are they going to leap? Because Isaiah 35 verse 10, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. Jesus ransoms people. A ransom is is when a payment must be made. So the law must be fulfilled when a crime must be when a crime is punished. The people who have placed their trust in the Lord and the person and the work of Jesus for their salvation, they have been bought. They have been bought back. They have been redeemed. They have been rescued from their sin. Jesus has paid their sin debt with his own blood. And that is very good news for us because God's wrath for their sin, for our moral crimes, has been satisfied. It's been satisfied in the person of Jesus and by the work of Jesus on that cross. And because of this work by Jesus, Jesus then, it's like he walks into the courtroom where you are on trial. The judge is giving you a death penalty and Jesus steps up and he tells the judge, he's going to pay your debt. He's going to be the substitute. That's why it's called substitutionary atonement. And that is good news, my friend. That's the gospel. So in verse 10, Isaiah 35, verse 10, those who have been ransomed, those who have been redeemed, those who have been bought back and rescued, they will return. What are they going to return from? From darkness to light. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. See, guys, this is the hope that Jesus gives to all of his disciples. And if you're a disciple of Jesus in here this morning, let me remind you, this this is not your best life now. This life is filled with all sorts of tests and trials and and sufferings. So please please don't get these two things mixed up. Your best life is to come. It is in the presence of your Lord Jesus. So back to verse 35 now. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. So this deaf man is the fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy, that Old Testament prophecy. Mark's gospel is the only one that includes this particular healing. So we don't have any idea what this guy said in this verse What do you think he said? You can bank on, that's right, hallelujah is right. He's praising God with that loosened tongue. So what's this guy going to do now? Jesus just healed this man. He can now hear and he can see. What's he going to do next? Can't you just picture him just running? Like, I can hear, I can hear, I can can talk, I can talk. And he runs back to his friends and all all of a sudden the crowd, what do they do? The crowd just erupts, and they lose their minds. 
because this man can see and he can talk. This is where this verse, this narrative gets a little funny because in verse 36, Jesus orders them to shut up. Jesus orders them to tell no one. Yeah, right. But the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. So can can you blame them? There's a bit of irony here because Jesus just healed this man's ears and now he's, he's refusing to listen. Jesus just healed this man's speech. Now he's commanding him not to speak? Come on, Jesus. So Jesus, he's not only instructing the healed man, but he's also instructing the crowd. And, you know, you look at this verse, and as the crowd is just losing their minds, they're going You know Jesus has to be smiling and laughing as he's saying, verse 36. So Jesus ordered them to tell no one. The more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. That word proclaimed there, they're not just talking about this. They proclaimed it. It was loud. They were heralds of this good news. So what exactly were they proclaiming? Well, in verse 37, they were extremely astonished and they said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So the crowd erupts, they lose their minds. And really this verse is a game changer for the people of the Decapolis because the first time that Jesus was here, he performs that miracle. They ask him to leave. And now they themselves are proclaiming this same gospel message. So that's, that's quite the turn of events here. I mean, after all, if you look back at chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 1, we had the Pharisees and the scribes. They were scolding. They were criticizing Jesus' disciples for eating because they didn't wash their hands. I mean, how, how petty is that? And then last week, we saw Jesus give a breadcrumb to a little doggy. And then today, we see Jesus continue to extend his mercy to the Gentiles. And Jesus is not done yet because he's getting ready to feed uh, a very large group of Gentiles just like the Jews from a few weeks ago. How do you think the Pharisees are going to respond to that? Feeding the Gentiles just like he did the Jews? I mean, it's one thing to heal a Gentile, but it's another to have dinner with him. Remember what the Pharisees said when, when Jesus had dinner with Matthew and all of his tax-collecting buddies? They didn't like that. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's proving to the Pharisees that it is by faith. It's not by nationality that you're adopted into God's family. The Word of God says in Ephesians 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is, this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. In other words, you can't do this. This is a gift solely from God. He chose to give the gift to you. And it's not from works either. You can't do it. Nobody's going to be able to boast. So this brings us to our second key point today. Don't think that you're the exception to God's grace on this. Because I want you to know that, that God loves you. You've got nothing to prove to him, nor do you have anything to hide. You know, you're a child of God. He has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. 
And he has chosen to do that because he chooses to love you. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on conditions. He chooses to love you. In a very real sense, this story is is similar to what happens to every Christian. Before Christ, we are deaf to God's word and his voice. And not only are we deaf, many of us are hostile. Remember those days? Hasn't been that long. Once again, this deaf man was not a problem to be fixed. He's a person made in the very image of Almighty God who just happens to be deaf. And Jesus has mercy on him. And I want to remind you today that you too are made in the image of Almighty God who happens to struggle with something. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say, get into a small group, they introduce yourself and they say, hi, my name is Dustin. And I'm an alcoholic. And they say, hi, Dustin. But see, that's, we don't do that in the kingdom of God, do we? In the kingdom of God, we say, hi, my name's Dustin, and I'm a child of God who happens to struggle with, and then you fill in the blank. See the difference there? As a child of God, you are not labeled by your worst mistake. Jesus is not going to remind you of the worst thing that you've ever done. That's Satan's job. That's what the world does. So the question before us this morning is, are you going to allow that thing to define you? I mean, you can continue to beat yourself up over it, but that will only put you in a state of depression if you're not there already. Are you hearing, are you listening to the Word of God and what the Word of God through the Spirit of God says about you. When you read the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, you hear His voice. And if you're not hearing the Word of God, why is that? I think many of us in the church today, we we also have a hearing problem. But it's the opposite of this man It's not that we're physically deaf, it's that we're spiritually numb. We've heard the gospel so many times that we think we understand it. And we think we understand it, by thinking we understand it, we we become numb and we, we become harsh and difficult. Over the past six to nine months, I've, I've heard multiple people say, uh, Dustin, I don't know. I don't really need a Bible study. I don't, I don't need a discipleship class. Dustin, I'm 60, I'm 70, I'm 80 years old. Man, I've, I've heard it all before. Dustin, I went to Bible college. Dustin, you're the, you're the young whippersnapper around here. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. And I guess these folks have experienced God in all of his Shekinah glory. And there's nothing else to experience. More so than Moses and Elijah and Peter, James and John. And that breaks my heart. Scripture says that the more that you read and the more that you study and the more that you pray through God's word, you're going to realize how much you do not know. 
Scripture says the more time that you spend in God's presence, the more humble you become and the more grateful you become because you realize how big and holy God is and how small and wretched you are. If reading and learning Scripture makes you proud, if you're not hearing what God has to say, well, dear friends, you're doing it wrong. You're just like the Pharisees that we're reading about in the Gospel of Mark. So the question as we, as we leave today is, are you deaf to God's Word? And if you are, what's in the way of you hearing His Word today? And, and probably here's the better question. Who else are you listening to? Who else are you believing rather than the Word of God? Father in heaven, we can't thank you enough that you speak loudly and you speak clearly. I pray that we would hear your voice today. I pray that we would hear your gospel in a brand new way. Father, please speak to us. Show us what we need to do to shut off the world. To, to spend this time with you, reading through your word, listening to the Spirit of God. And then not just listening, but, but obeying. And, and we obey joyfully. For those of us who need to repent because we've been listening to someone else. We've been listening to talk radio or social media or Hollywood, or we've been reading stuff we shouldn't be reading. Father, may we get on our face and ask for forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand? I would like to bless you and give you a benediction for this week. The benediction comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace, may himself give you his peace at all times, in every single situation. May the Lord be with you all this week. Amen and amen.